0: Take a walk with me Not like your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you, thank you, thank you for hitting play today. Listen, you could have hit play on any number of things today. Really, you could have. You could have hit play on Netflix. You could have hit play on your Walkman disc changer. Are those still a thing? You could have hit play on talk radio. You could have played with your kids. Maybe you still are, and you're listening while you play with your kids, which let me tell you, that's fun to do, too. I'm okay with that. Well, you've given me your moments today, and I, I want you to know after four years of doing this, I still don't take that for granted, that I don't take your moments for granted, that I, I try to find the very best that we can to get in their shoes, to get before you, to listen, to maybe walk away with a different perspective. And so I always like it when we get to travel. It's so fun to me. I always in my mind think of Mr. Rogers at this time and this moment of the show. Like we travel within our imagination and we get to go to Australia today. Good eye, Mike. Take another shrimp off the Bobby. Did I get that down? Did
1: I do that? Did I do that okay? Help me welcome in my new friend. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Neil. I'm happy to be here too. Actually, it's really hot here. So i channel being over there in winter. It is cold, but today it wasn't. Today it was actually, it
0: was pleasant. It wasn't like overly cold in Oregon, but it was, it was still, what did we get up to? 42 today? That's Fahrenheit. That's not Celsius. I don't know what it would be Celsius. I, I didn't do the math on that. Sorry.
1: I think it's not very many. It's not enough. I'm pretty sure.
0: Like a one or a two, perhaps? I don't know.
1: You know, subtract 30 or I I can't remember how you do
0: it. Got to figure this out real quick. All right. All right. 42. It's 5.5 Celsius.
1: Is that too cold? Way too cold. Unless I'm skiing. That's the only the only exception to that rule.
0: I want to make sure we say your name right because I'm always nervous about saying people's names wrong. So help me with the pronunciation. Make sure I get that right. Say it one time for me.
1: My name is Suzy Lee. My nephews and their friends all call me Suze, which I think is kind of cool. She can call me Suze.
0: I like it. Suze. Almost makes it seem like we're super good friends right out of the gate. So Suze...
1: I like
0: that. Help me with this, though, because I'm wondering about the footwear in Australia. Now, we've had a number of your friends. I I say friends because everyone really should be friends with everyone. We try to be. Some of your other friends from Australia have worn some different footwear. But help us with this because it is kind of summertime down there. Not kind of, it is weird Southern hemisphere, backwards toilet flushing you are. (laughs) Koalas just climbing all over everywhere. That's what I envision Australia. And kangaroos just hopping down the street. Sharks and snakes and spiders. Oh my. Help me with this. What style of shoe do you love to wear down under?
1: My absolute favorite is a pair of bright purple Birkenstocks. You know, we grew up just wearing, we call them thongs. I'm sure that's not what we call them, flip-flops, you know, these really thin rubber things. Then my feet discovered Birkenstocks that have support and they're, you know, lovely tailored to the bottom of my foot. My feet won't wear anything else. And they're they're a very nice shade of purple, which amuses me to no end as well.
0: Now help me, is purple your favorite color?
1: Do you know, I even got married in purple, a purple tutu. Not one of those little short pointy ones, but a long one. It it was gorgeous. I remember after the whole wedding, you know, turning up at the hotel, getting out of the taxi and some random guy walks by and says, great dress. Made my day. Well, a few things made my day. That is, in fact, tomorrow is our thirty-first wedding anniversary. So nice to be reminded of my purple wedding dress.
0: That is fun.
1: I've worn it again so many times. You wear a white dress, and who? White's not my.
0: He's ever gonna wear it again. I have worn that dress so many times. It's really fun. I don't I don't have a response to that. I really don't because <laughs> I wore a white tuxedo to my wedding. Then I wore white tennis shoes that I found. They're a basketball player here in the States called Tracy McGrady. He's long retired now. But at the time he had these shoes called T Max. And so I wore white. T-Max shoes. And then I took out the white shoelaces because, hello, you don't need white shoelaces and shoes. I know this is going to come as a shock to some, but I put light blue shoelaces in the shoes. So the white blue really like popped, if you
1: will. Nice. When you say T-Max, I've never heard that of shoes. I think of Toby Mac when you say that.
0: Well, and so funny story on those type of shoes is I have shoes behind me that are T-Max from Tracy McGrady. Same, same athlete. They're just a different version of his shoes. And Toby did, in fact, sign those for me.
1: Oh, wow. There you
0: go. And I have yet to wear them since he signed them. So let's get into you and your story, because I think you have a very unique story, much like most, but a very powerful one at that. But before we get into your story, I got to ask you this question. This is this is important. The shoe thing was fun, right? But, but this is kind of important because I was thinking about this when we initially had talked, and I forgot to bring this up, but I wanted to bring this up now. You talked about in a previous interview that I, I got a little snippet of that you talked about this book. Put out by the Barna Group involving young people, youth age, you know, high school kind of age, leaving the church. And you talked about this book in this interview. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. And then I'll tell you why here in a minute. Why of all books? I mean, you've you've probably read a number of them. And there's a ton behind you on that amazing bookshelf behind you. Applause to that, by the way. But why that book? And why, why did that book speak to you so much?
1: I first came across George Barna when I was working for my denomination, Consulting and in- Children and Family Ministry. And George Barner at the time had brought out a book where he was saying, you know, if we're just relying on kids going to Sunday school for half an hour for their discipleship, absolutely not enough. It's the parents' primary responsibility to be discipling their kids. And from there, I don't know where else, but certainly in Australia, a big shift happened that instead of, you know, churches employing or having a volunteer running Sunday school, they started having someone doing family ministry. And that was was a big start for me in this whole thinking about family stuff. And then when I was writing the book, I was researching for that as well and I came across some new research, the binary Research. He had been, I think, been commissioned by World Vision, so a huge aid and development organisation. I'd been working for aid and development organisations, so that was interesting as well. And they interviewed something like 15,000 young people who had left the church. And they said, why? Why? You know, one of their questions was, you know, why have you left the church? And one of the things they said was they wanted to be part of changing the world. They wanted to be part of something bigger than them. They wanted to make a difference in this world. They care about so many social justice issues. And they just didn't see anyone in the church that cared about the same things as them. And they, they saw old people worried about things that, that were not an issue for them, this this generation also has been studied and it's seen that they're really lonely, they're spiritually hungry, they're lonely, and it just seemed to me such a terrible shame that the church is not the place to go to to say, right, I want to be part of something bigger, I'm gonna change the world. Because for me it was. I became a Christian in my early twenties. My dad had been working overseas and so I'd been to very poor countries, seen, wow, not everyone lives like I do, and I'd seen in seen injustice. I'd watch movies that had moved me about the, you know, the injustices in the world. And I remember thinking, I want to be on the side of good. And when I was introduced to Christianity, it was like, oh, these are my people. This is These are the people that care about the things that I care about. And so what's happened in that generation's time that young people no longer feel like that? I think this is terrible.
0: <laughs> I bring that up from the standpoint of this. Our church went through a major shift in youth ministry. Now, a little background on me that you might not be aware of is I started in youth ministry at nineteen years old, we yeah. had a, we had a leader fail in my youth group. He was our youth leader. He failed a moral failure there, and the church kind of came to me at nineteen and said, "Listen, you've kind of been leading under him, kind of been watching him. This is your moment. This is your chance. You're not married. We know you're gonna get married eventually to Elizabeth, but right now we need some help. Here's the keys to the Ferrari. Kind of don't wreck it. Kind of thing." That's literally kind of how it went. And I had like three or four mentor men around me to kind of kind of keep me on track. And I'm nineteen. I needed some dudes around me, which I'm grateful for. Fast forward now in a new church, new ministry, new to, you know, kind of new organization. We go through this shift because we again have a leader leave, not because of a memorial failure, but just because he's leaving. Like he's done with the church. He's like, I'm out, I'm done. Youth pastor burnout, if you will. And the church makes us read this book. The leadership does. And I hate it. I'm just gonna be keen. And I know you're an author. It is really hard for Neil to sit down and physically read a book. It is almost a miracle. Even my Bible, like I still struggle sometimes. Like I have to hear it.
1: The Bible was a living, breathing, you know, it it was oral tradition. You know, it's like reading a Shakespeare play is so boring compared to seeing a Shakespeare play because that's the way it's meant to be. And we've just given all that up and assuming that somehow we'll read these words on the page and it'll be exciting, but it's meant to be alive.
0: They have us read this book called You Lost Me. And I listened to it about three times, maybe four, just because I was so enthralled with it. And at the time I had just started my podcast. We had just kind of gone through our first season and I thought, man, what are we going to talk about in our second season? And lo and behold, at that time, I had an executive producer, a guy named Garrett, helping out with the show. He said, Neil, I I really think you should do a series on people leaving the church. You have a leaving the church story. I think you should do a leaving the church series on people being lost. And I thought, yeah, I wonder if I could get some of my old youth kids together because now they're adults, they're not high schoolers anymore. They're now adults having kids, which is so weird to me still, by the way. <laughs> Makes me feel super old every time I'm around any of them. I'm like, guys, I just feel like a grandpa and you're young kids. Anyway, so lo and behold, because of this book, here's the wackier part of this story is through this book, I actually had restoration with my old senior pastor of leaving the church that I had left because of this book, we were able to restore. I mean, through the Holy Spirit too, of course. Let's give God credit where credit's due. I think that doesn't happen, truly. You know, the Holy Spirit isn't allowed to work because my heart wasn't willing, because my attitude definitely wasn't willing. Everything wasn't willing until I read this book and this. I walked away feeling like I got to fix things with the old church. Felt like I needed to share this long story with you. But I think it goes right into what you're about. Because again, if we're talking about this footprint, this impact moment. I mean, that would be one for me. That book really did change my life in a lot of respects, which I can't say that a lot about a ton of books because I'm just not that great of a reader. I know for you, a lot of your story, a lot of this impact, a lot of this footprint moment kind of centers around maybe some of this, maybe not. I could be way off base. I want to let you take it from there. Why do you want to talk about this footprint, this impact moment for you?
1: I am still following that dream I had when I first decided to follow Jesus and decided that, you know, if everyone lived the way Jesus suggested, the world would be better. So I'm still on, on that exact path. But it's it's shifted along the way because I had my own kids and my parents got divorced when I was eight, when it was still a, a nasty thing to do and and very rare. You you know, it was tumultuous for quite a while. When I had my kids, I didn't just think, oh, I'll just do whatever mum and dad did. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a lot more intentional about it than that. At the same time, I had this, you know, these jobs that were looking at poverty and injustice. And so the, the two couldn't help but go together. And I started being really intentional about raising my kids and thinking about, you know, the older you get, the so many sermons you've, you've sat through. And we're told all the time, do this, don't do that, you've got to forgive, you've got to love, you've got to, all these things, and I, you hear them so many times that after a while it becomes kind of meaningless, really. What is love? What is forgiveness? And ho I'm on to, you know, Isaiah 6 next week. I studied psychology and then I did a Master's of Peace and Conflict Studies, and so I'm really interested in the actual nuts and bolts of how you do those things. How do you be loving and forgiving and humble and kind and generous and all the things that that attract me to Jesus and to the kingdom of God? But how do you do them? Because it's really hard because the older I get, the more I experience, wow, forgiving people is really, really hard. Loving people sometimes is quite difficult. Nobody's told about conflict resolution. You just told this great story of restoration going back to your pastor, but you told it something that was extraordinary. But we're told to be people of reconciliation, to bring peace around us. But how do you do that? I I ran a Bible study for young adults for many years and they would ask me questions like this. What I'm really interested in doing is pulling these things apart, taking advantage of all of the psychologists. Christians are overrepresented in positive psychology that doesn't just look at what's wrong with people, but what's right with people, what makes people loving and forgiving and kind and generous and compassionate. And how can we train people to do more of that? Taking insights from them so that I think the church does a really great job with families. I loved that my kids grew up in church in this wonderful community. I've been there 30 years. It's my village. There are so many families out around us that are struggling. When I worked for aid and development organizations, I would go to very poor countries like Nepal and and I would see churches reaching out to their local community because the people were hungry or they were desperately poor or there was injustice or there was violence or, or whatever. They would help them with these physical, tangible problems that they had in their lives. And they would go, wow, who are you people that you're being so kind to us? Oh, is this what Christians are like? Fabulous. But then I suddenly thought, why don't we do that now? We tend to have our little churches on our corners and we have a happy time on Sunday morning and we sing and we have a cup of tea and it's lovely and all my friends are there and then we go home into the, out into the world. Why do we not shout? from the rooftops that actually we're a really great place for raising kids we're a really great place for helping people who now live in big cities that really are meant to live in villages and in community and and be living a life where you're working on your character and you're working on how to build strong and better relationships wouldn't it be fabulous if the church was the go-to place when when a family's you know having trouble and things are not going well oh actually that that church down the road they're they're running in a Event where they're teaching families how to have great conversations together. Let's go along there. A big answer, what I'm trying to do. And I took all of the last kind of 20, 25 years of my experience in work and in family and smooshed it into this one book.
0: It's in that one book where we really can start to discover really your passion is to make these impacts, is to is to make sure, I don't know if you've heard of this band, you mentioned Toby Mac, so maybe you're kind of have your pulse a little bit on some Christian music. So back in the 90s, there was this band, Man Band, and we actually were fortunate enough to have one of the Man Band members. He called it a Man Band, that's why I'm calling it that, but for him. And his name's Andy Chrisman, and he was in one of our shows, past shows. But in that, they sang this amazing song, and due to copyright reasons, I can't play it, which really makes me Mad sometimes because copyright sucks, but I really want to play it. But they sing this song called "Future Generations." I don't know if you ever heard it or anything like that, but I invite you if if you haven't go go listen to it because it's it's amazing. It's it's definitely slower. It's '90s. You know, you get a little bit of that '90s kind of music era. You can definitely tell it's from that for sure. But in this song. You know, future generations, it talks about these things that, you know, they're not going to bend. They're not going to break. They're not going to water down their faith. They're not going to compromise in a world of desperation. What has been cannot be changed, but tomorrow and today, they must be the light for future generations. And when I hear you talk, that's immediately what I started hearing and thinking about is this idea of you being a light, bringing the light. Not that you are the light, you know, the light. It warms my heart because I still think there are people out there that care about young people and want to see them come to know who Jesus is. And that is obviously right in my wheelhouse. I've got to be candid. Of late, I've gotten an opportunity to get back into youth. I took basically like a four-year sabbatical, if you will, because I was just done. In that, my daughter's 15 now. She's of that youth age. She's a sophomore in high school. And I go to our school church. I serve there in in the youth ministry program a Sunday, a month, every now and then, maybe two, depending on the schedule and the calendar. And I start to realize that it's really hard to penetrate these youth hearts. So I'm gonna ask you as an expert, how do I, or how do you, or how does a parent, how do they reach their youth? So they can be that future generation? so they can carry on that legacy how do we do that
1: that is exactly what i'm trying to do in the book is help people like you parents youth group leaders anyone who cares about kids to connect with them the very first thing you need to do is remember that you have two ears and one mouth and use them proportionally because those of us who are older those of us who have been in leadership we like to talk that is not gonna work I I have two sons and you know I like to talk and it took a long while for me to realize that they never talk unless I shut up that's the first thing the other thing is like there's a science to good conversations a good conversation should be two things it's should be creative and positive rather than negative our whole education system is training us to be analytical to pull things apart and criticize them right critical views of everything and so we kind of trained to find the negative it's, it's even in our brains that you know you've got to watch out for danger the, the sharks and the spiders and so on a really great creative conversation tries to together create something bigger than the sum of the parts so if you've ever been in some creative project with other people and you we all get so excited because you fire off each other and you brainstorm off each other and you realize that everybody's important and everyone who's different to you brings something else and you create something together that's bigger than all of you you want to be aiming for that sort of energy in a conversation with your kids and because kids are way more creative than we are NASA did some research on creativity and they they surveyed all ages from like two years old and up and when do you think pig creativity happens. When are you a creativity genius?
0: 12 years old. I'm going to guess. I have no idea.
1: Five years old. It's all downhill from there.
0: Five (laughs) years old is when I was most creative?
1: Absolutely. So as as adults- I got to ponder that one. Yeah. We want to be open- and creating an environment where our kids know that we're willing to learn from them. You see the humility and respect and just plain shut-up-ableness that needs to happen to create an environment where the kids think, oh, I have something to offer too. That's when we'll start getting through to our kids. That's when they'll start opening up their hearts. That's when they'll feel they're in a safe enough place to contribute. And the second thing is related to this. Instead of statements, we want to ask questions. We want to have conversations where we're seeking to be curious and dig deeper and get a fuller and greater understanding of what's going on. I've written 40 conversations in this book in sort of four big areas of life that build on each other to try to start with a foundation of relationships with our kids. And so three conversations are just on listening skills. It's a skill that we we don't get taught. I don't know if you've ever felt like someone has really listened to you and really helped you figure out what's going on your head by asking good questions and you feel so loved don't you when somebody really listens well but not everybody does it especially in this social media world where everyone's talk, talk 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 talking at you skills of forgiveness skills of conflict resolution skills of how to be a good friend that's the way we start building relationships with our kids in a good time so that in the hard times they know that they can come and talk to us about anything then we also need to think about the effect that our culture is having on our kids and help to empower them to understand what's going on and be able to push back against it so two examples one is consumerism from very young and most highly paid psychologists are working for the advertising industry trying to turn our little children into consumers and keep them there to get them to believe, you know, when they've had a hard day at school or when you've had a hard day, you know, had a fight with somebody, that retail therapy is what's going to make you feel better. And it's not true and we need to help our kids see it for what it is because they're not so good at seeing the difference between what's reality and what's advertising. The second example, of course, is technology. There are starting to be some really good nuanced research coming out that's that's saying if you have a really good relationship with your parents as a, a teenage girl who are really, shown to be most susceptible to social media stuff, then you're less likely to be affected negatively by social media. If you are using your device to proactively connect with your friends, that's gonna, that's actually good. But if you're using your social media to get away from relationships that are not working, to just passively scroll and see what everyone else is doing, that's when anxiety and depression starts to to be clowning up. If we can have a conversation, we actually present this information to our children and say, oh, what do you think about this? What not? This is what has to happen. But what do you think about this? What are you finding out the issues? What do you think we should do about it? What do you think about my use as a parent of social media and be prepared to let them join in the, that discussion?
0: I don't know if I'm ready for all that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Who <laughs> <laughs> is?
0: Oh, man, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'm ready to have that conversation to ask my 15 year old, you she think I'm using social media OK? i don't know if i'm ready for that
1: but you can see that there's a fundamental shift there isn't there yes I think as parents hurry up get ready don't forget your jump up da, 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 da do this, do this, do this, do this. And in the busyness of our life, we can just become this other, you know, harpy voice telling them what to do. And I remember my boys coming home from school at different times from high school saying the teachers just don't listen and thinking, wow, I don't want them to say that about me.
0: You know, listen, I'm at 42. I'll be 43 next month. For me, it's hard. It's just, it's hard to envision what life would have looked like if we just take present world is like with social media and all that stuff. And we basically shift it back in time you know, so I had the Instagrams, I had Facebook, I had all the, all the stuff we have now, smartphones and everything like that. I, I just, I think it was so much, it makes me sound so old when I say this, but it was a simple time. I don't think there was a lot of bullying, at least that I, I didn't see. My sister joked recently, she said, you know, if there was bullying back in the day, maybe there needs to be more bullying today because kids are so snowflaked. And I'm like, that's terrible to say is, do you think adults, are we missing it with our kids? Or are we just, out to lunch, are we still so worried about ourselves selfishly? We're we're not focused on our kids as much. And that's what we're seeing in not only churches, but in society as well. Do you think that there's some truth to that?
1: Yeah, it's hard to make blanket statements. I would say culturally, we are extremely individualistic. We think more about our rights than to me, parenthood is a season of sacrifice. It's not about my rights, but that doesn't seem to be the way it is now. I I just became a grandmother and um, we went to grandparents' training at our local hospital. The educator there said this is the most anxious generation of parents that she has ever seen because they are used to being so capable and can do everything and um, they're in charge and, you know, they're they're making their lives work the way they're supposed to and they have 21,000 how-to-have-a-baby books on their phone and they are just overwhelmed by it all and her her big advice to us was just listen, just be there and listen. You can't tell them, and I think that I think that's what we're missing with parenting at the moment. I have a friend who's a police officer. I have a friend who's a high school teacher, and they say the biggest problems they see is under-parenting of teenagers in particular. Both parents are off working or are busy, busy, busy because we're so consumerist. we have got to have more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, and so you're to work really hard to get all these more stuff and and. All All the research says kids don't care about this stuff. They don't want more stuff. They want parents who are not stressed and they feel happiest when they're spending time with their parents. I think, yes, we need to be really intentional about this window. I can tell you now I'm an empty nester and it's awful. It's awful. Nothing prepares you for it. And you can't talk about it because they're doing exactly the right thing and I'm very happy for them. You have such a small window with your kids. Spend time getting to know them. It's almost like you're in a, a job interview now for how they're going to treat you when they're gone. Here's your chance to let your kids know that you care about them. You care about what they think. You care about the problems they're experiencing. You respect them as people and you're there to have their back, not to just tell them what to do.
0: Well, this is the tragedy sometimes, at least in my life. I think my parents did the very best that they could. They really did. You know, my dad's a former Marine, was gone a lot, traveled a lot. The Marine Corps took him to who knows where. My mom, childcare, taking care of other people's kids all the time. You know, I think sometimes when she got home, I think she was kind of spent with kids. She'd spent all day with them. She didn't want to have to deal with us sometimes. I wonder. I don't know, but I wonder. And I remember feeling a lot of in the way. My stuff was so, to me, it seemed so big and so emotionally... I need whatever. I knew I couldn't go to them, go and share my emotional day with them. I remember walking home in, in middle school, you know, almost in tears because the, the track coach had told me I wasn't going to be a high jumper. My dad was a high jumper in high school. And all I wanted to do was to be a high jumper because I thought, okay, if I could just be a high jumper, maybe he'll care. Maybe he'll start to get involved in my life. He'll show up at the track meets. He'll show up at practice like all the other dads did. That's all I wanted. And I started to realize as I got older that it doesn't, it didn't matter what I did they just couldn't give that had no capability of doing that and i vowed and i and i promised and i I'm sure I made deals with God. Oh God, if you ever grant me the ability to one, get married, two, have kids, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to care. I'm going to be involved. I catch myself being my parents absolutely drives me bonkers. Like I get angry and indignant at myself because I fall into those same traps where I'm too tired, where I'm this or that, or I have to go do this or I have to go do that. And and recently I remember, and this was in the last month, just my daughter and I going to to dinner and I personally purposely left my phone off the table in my pocket. And I I thought, okay, I'm going to just try this and just have a conversation with her and ask her about people. I have no idea who these names are. I've just heard them. So-and-so and and Jojo and cc and i'm like i don't i don't know jojo sounds terrible you know i'm making up names i say all that because i think there's nothing truly that can prepare you for being a parent you gotta ask this question and i don't know how you can answer it and i'm and i'm trying to make it as narrow as i can but if you could go back and do it again is there is there things you would change is there is there ways you would have raised your boys better and if so maybe maybe speak to that because i think again as parents we think okay we're done like we can't fix what well, what we did it when they were five. We can't fix what I can't there's no time machine. I can't go back and fix it. I only have right now. So if I've just blown it as a parent, I'm not saying I have, but I have, how can I fix it? And and maybe this is where you come in and say, Hey, here's some mistakes I made and here's what I've done to to maybe redo or mulligan it, if you will.
1: My boys are perfect, so you know, that's just not an issue. Um I think I think that the the story you just told is really great illustration. The way we're trained to to be parents, like in the whole of nature, is by the way we were parented role modeling is absolutely the most powerful thing you don't even know you're doing it that is how you learn that's how kids learn from absolute babies all all the way through you've noticed that and you've decided to become intentional about oh no I don't want to just do it the way my parents did and really nice that you've understood that they were doing the best they could and they didn't have the benefits of a lot of psychological wisdom that we have now and who knows what their parents were like with them and so on I have the same issues with my parents parents. But just that little step of intentionality of actually I'm gonna think about the way I parent rather than just relying on the modeling that came from my parents is a big head start. And then the little example you give of actually I'm gonna just not not have my phone on the table and I'm gonna have a conversation with my daughter, it actually is that simple. That is all you need to do. And you don't need to be doing that every minute of every day that that'll drive them crazy. But if you do it often enough that they know it's okay to talk to you about things, then when they need you, they'll know that they can come to you. So you don't want to be hovering over them all the time. Are you okay? What's going on? What's going on? But if from little you've you've built up this culture of communication in your family so your kids know they can say anything and they won't be you know, people flying off the handle and judgment or anything, but they'll be listening first and conversation afterwards. Then when the going does get tough for them with Jojo or whoever's being horrible, then they'll know that they can come talk to you. And to me, that is success because I want my kids to come to me when things are bad. I don't want them going to the internet to get answers. I don't want them going to their friends to find out what to do, about, you know, and they're all the blind leading the blind. We can sometimes step away from our teachers teenage kids because they get prickly and difficult because they're going through this massive change and they don't even know what the heck's going on in them them with their hormonally half the time. And something amazing has to happen or we would never let them leave home. They're our babies. So this gradual pulling apart from each other has to happen. A cool thing that I did before I wrote the book was I told you I I ran a Bible study group with a bunch of young adults for several years. I watched them grow up. They're really great. We had a church that was really into social justice as we were doing advocacy actions all the time. And they're, you know, they're all now working for aid and development organisations or social workers or nurses or engineers with renewable energy, doing things that are great. And so I, I wrote a survey and I said, I want you to tell me what was it that your parents did that raised you into such caring human beings? just absolute gold listening to these recently parented young people reflecting on what their parents did almost to a one they're like they listened they shared their lives with us they told us when things were hard for them they didn't shield us from the world they took us with them when they went volunteering or when they cooked a casserole for someone who's something bad's happened they took us with them and they explained to us why they were doing it parenting is not an exact science but it's so precious I remember those long days when the kids were little and it was hard work but they're they're gone for me now they're they're adults and now I realize it was precious but I now can see the effect of the role modeling that my beautiful husband did, the effect of my conversations that I had with my boys, the volunteering things we took them on has made them into the good people that they are today. And I just think if everybody could just be a little bit intentional about their parenting and not just let schools and advertising and sports coaches say what's the most important thing. But let's us choose for ourselves what we think we want for our kids. And
0: see, I think that's the power of not only the message, but the book and really everything involved. This whole idea of at the end of the day, I don't care who you are as a parent. I think most parents would agree with this. They want their kids to be good people. They want them to care. Yeah. They don't want them to be monsters. I have yet to meet a parent that has ever said to me, you know what? When my kids grew up, whatever, I just had them to have them. Nobody has ever said that to me in in, in sincerity. They might be joking around about that. I'm saying when you, when you press them and you say, hey, if you could have one dream, one wish, one goal for your kids, what do you want? Most of the time it's, hey, I want them healthy. Be cool if they called every now and then. I want them to care. I want them to be good human beings. Undoubtedly, that comes up.
1: You're exactly right. Harvard University did exactly that study. They asked parents, what are the most important things that you want for your kids? They all said, we want caring ethical compassionate children. But then they did a really clever thing. They then asked the ten thousand kids of all of those parents, what do you think your parents want most for you? And those kids did not say for us to be caring good people. They said, oh, for us to be successful and happy. And what one of the themes in my book is that we have made a mistake about what we think happiness is and how to get it. Because happiness is not more stuff. Happiness is not being smart or fast or good at things. Happiness is like this byproduct of great relationships and having a sense of purpose in the world and of being generous and grateful and, and compassionate. These are the things that actually make us happy.
0: The idea that you're raising a kid that's not going to care, that's not going to have a contributing factor in society. No parent, if they're again, if they're being real, is never going to say, well, yeah, I, I just hope my kids grow up and do something awesome, make a lot of money. But he's going to say that.
1: But it doesn't just happen. There are so many competing forces acting on our kids so what I'm hoping to do is help people bring that intention into reality and the conversations in the book are here's how you step that through that I said there's some about relationships there's some about culture 10 that are about character building about how do you be wise and generous and kind and then there's a whole bunch about how do you contribute to the world I want to grow a generation of kids who when they see a problem they think oh I could do something about that rather than oh no I feel guilty and Terrible and the world's horrible and what am I gonna do and I just want to watch Netflix? And wouldn't the world be a better place? Wouldn't the world be a more kingdom place if a whole families had a mission to be more caring in the world?
0: But Suze, let me ask this question. I'm gonna play the flip side of the coin. I always hate seeing devil's advocate. Imagine you at, let's say, 13 years old. I time travel, I put this book in your hand, your book, you read it. What is your 13-year-old version of you do with the information she just read about?
1: I speak to the kids in the book, and I say the adults in your life need you to help them. You're way more creative. You've got. You're still in touch with your idealism. You need to lead these conversations. The thing that I'm saying in this book is let the children lead the conversations. It'll make us shut up. The adults shut up. It will give kids great leadership opportunity but it will it will level the playing field and it will make these kids feel that there is something that they can do that they have something to contribute I think I wrote the book to the me that I would have been if I didn't get to hang around in this lovely church community village that I've had all these years because when I was 13 I didn't know how to listen I didn't know how to forgive I didn't know how to be kind and generous I didn't have a clue about almost anything and I wish somebody had reached out and and helped me with it. There are life skills that we need to teach our kids. And it's not that hard. I've done all the work for you. I've put all the research in there. I've structured it all. So it's an easy enough for a kid to lead the conversation.
0: But I guess that's what I was trying to get at is this idea that you didn't grow up with this. This book that we're talking about really would have changed your worldview. Yeah. So I got to ask as an author, as a creator, I'm not an author, but maybe one day. But as a creator, I can definitely ask this question from this standpoint. Hardest part of the book to write and why?
1: There was a time in the middle of writing the book when I suddenly got that classic writer's block really procrastinating. And I was stuck for a while until I read somewhere that underneath procrastination is fear. And so I started to ask myself, well, what is it that I'm afraid of? Every time over the, you know, once once a decade, I'll find myself in a counselor's office for something or other. And it's always to do with my dad who was away like yours he he was an expat engineer worked overseas my parents were split up so I was with mum and so i would see him only maybe once a year and for a good chunk of my life he was an alcoholic as well so i didn't i didn't know if my dad loved me and it seemed to me a big hole in me, and one of the ways that I got over that was to try and achieve to to get his approval. My honours thesis at uni is like dedicated to my father, and you know he wasn't even there. <laughs> my poor stepfather must have been horrified when I was procrastinating the book. I realised that I've equated achievement with lovableness. If I achieve, my dad might love me. And then I suddenly realized writing a book is pretty public. At that point, I had no clue if it was any good or not. It's got a few prizes. now. I think it is okay. At that point, I was like, oh, if I fail in this, it's really big failure. And suddenly I realized if achievement means lovable, failure, what does that mean? Unlovable. So I suddenly realized I was like protecting myself on this creative journey. And it, it helped just understanding that I was able to push through and I'm glad I did. We're all just little children inside who none of us had perfect parents and none of us had perfect worlds and we need to be kind and gentle with each other cuz everyone's carrying their stuff, their baggage, their defense mechanisms, their things that are helping them walk through this scary world.
0: Well, first off, I appreciate you sharing that. I think there is a reason and there is there's always that kind of inspiration that comes out of creative things, creative books, plays, movies, things like that. When you really dig in behind, there's more to that story. There's more to that layer. There's more to that onion or whatever. Awesome stuff. You know, being in Sydney, I know there's that opera house that's kind of in your harbor. Apparently it's just like floating out there, just kind of doing its thing.
1: My dad built it. Did he really? Yes, he did.
0: <laughs> that's fascinating stuff.
1: That's why I live in Australia. He came to build it. Well,
0: if somehow we put you center stage at the Sydney Opera House, I, I think somebody told me it only seats like 10,000 people, which I think is a very small audience. 10,000 is not that many people to get in front of. I mean, it's still a lot. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'd probably be a little nervous still at 10,000 people. If you could get 10,000 parents in a room in the Sydney Opera House, maybe it's black tie. I'd give them an opportunity to dress up, have nice food there. I've never been. One day, maybe I'll go to the Sydney Opera House. But I put you on that stage. We make a nice stage free. Maybe we have some purple kind of banners coming down. But what would you say to parents in this moment right now if they're really feeling like listen, this generation I can't get to. There's a shut door. There's loud music that I don't even understand. There's lyrics coming from the room. I don't even want her listening to or him listening to. There's a hoodie that's being worn all the time. There's head down. There's AirPods in all the time. Never really getting through. How do I break through to my kids? What's the best advice you would give somebody in this moment?
1: First of know it's never too late. The- main thing is be interested in them. Show them that you are interested. Ask them about their favorite song. Get involved with the lyrics of those songs that they're listening to. I remember when I worked in uh, um, children and family ministry, there were people that were saying, oh, we need to ban this book and ban that book. No, you need to sit down and read that book with your kid and have a conversation about it. You need to watch that weird movie with your kid and engage and help them to understand what's going on. Somebody said to me once, if you want your boys to talk to you, you need to be interested in what your boys are interested in. So I know how the skateboard things work. And I, I played Pokemon with them and be interested in your kids so that they know you're someone that's willing to listen to them in good times and in bad.
0: I think that's solid advice. Hopefully those at the Opera House walk away with a new perspective. So, Suze, how can people get the book? Now, I know being in Australia, you have different bookstores than maybe we have here in the States. But I bet you there's one thing that you guys have down there in Australia is you still have the Internet. There's still places folks can go, the WWWs of the world. So where's the best place someone can go pick up a copy of the book?
1: You can go to any bookstore and order it. They they can order it from the distributors. Barnes & Noble have it. Amazon, of course, has it as an... An ebook and and as a paperback, ship it right to your door. I have a website, raising Find out a bit more about the book. You can download a couple of, of sample conversations from the book to to get a bit of a feel of what's what it's on about. And there are there are links in there for buying the book as well.
0: Now you mentioned your grandma. I just want the record to show you said that, I did not.
1: I'm delighted I have two sons I have a whole bunch of nephews and finally I have a granddaughter
0: so grandma almost implies you're older perhaps than I am just putting that out there walking very delicately here but accurate I said I was 43 next month so you don't have to say how old you are grandma implies older
1: yes older and wiser
0: Ooh, older and wiser. Touche. So here we go. So in your older and wiser age, you you did forget one place folks can go to get it. It's okay. I mean I mean it happens. You are older in years. So I'm gonna help you out here. They can also go to opspodcast.com slash books that I love. It'll be up towards the top of the page, not the tippy top, because that's reserved for two amazing books that people should go look at as well. But your book will be featured there as well. So if they didn't get all the Barnes and Nobles and Amazons and all that other stuff down. Don't worry. We got you covered. OPSpodcast.com slash books that I love. With Oops. that being said, I yeah, you. yes, you, you should be. There's a lot of amazing authors. And by the way, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, guess what book is there? I'm, I'm not kidding you. Guess what book is there? You lost me. The Barna book that we were talking about. Oh wow, cool! I didn't even get his permission. I just put it on there because we did the whole series on it. I still would love to get him on. So if
1: you know him,
0: I don't know. I'm just kidding.
1: Oh, I don't. But you should. That's a great idea.
0: That would be a great get. So you know, in Australia, you probably don't know a lot about college basketball. I'm guessing that probably doesn't come your way a lot.
1: You guessing
0: correctly i'm guessing correctly well here in about a month there's going to be this thing called march madness and it's this amazing tournament that takes place every march usually about mid-march and they go till april first part of april and it's called march madness and these college teams compete to go to the final four and then from the final four they get to two and then you know eventually there's a champion well last year my beloved tar heels were terrible I'm sure they're equally (laughs) kind of as terrible. We just lost to Duke. Still kind of crumming and crying through that. I'm a big basketball, college basketball fan. I say that because I have this cup here and you have no inkling of who this is, but you've heard of Michael Jordan, right? I'm guessing he made it to Sydney. Okay, fair enough. You do know that one. He went to this college. University of North Carolina. That's not why I like them. It is an added bonus. So we're going to do this thing called senseless. It's this silly way we end the show. But before we do senseless, I got to ask this question because I do think it's important. There are parents out there right now. I'm sure, you know, the book would be great to get, but I bet you they want to kind of talk about conversations, talk about continuing conversations. What's the best way or how should parents reach out to you if they have questions that maybe they have before they get the book? Maybe they want to have some consultation like, hey, what do you think? About this, like Johnny is really blah, 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 or Susie, Susie and Johnny, they're terrible <laughs> kids, apparently, because they're always my examples. But what's the best way someone can connect with you as well?
1: Yeah, again, my website, raisingkidswhocare.info. That's my website. The contact page, it's going to go straight to me. And I absolutely love talking to people so please reach out that would
0: be great awesome and we will link that in our show notes so folks can get that as well our silliness continues or maybe starts is senseless so i have this cup like i said you don't really care about north carolina i'm gonna roll because you're still in the future in australia which is always mind-boggling to me because your time zone and all that yeah hopefully in the future north carolina is much better so that's my hope (laughs) prayer. so anyway here we go i'm gonna roll for you All right, you got question number five. There it is, number five. And that's this question, which I'm curious about this. Maybe some Australian things will come to your mind, perhaps. I don't know. Not trying to feed you or lead you astray in any way. But here we go. It says, what is something you taste that you always seem to get a reaction to?
1: Something you taste
0: you always seem to get a reaction to?
1: Pineapple. I once had a pineapple in Malaysia that I don't know if it was overripe or underripe, but it Stung my whole mouth <laughs> I love pineapple Especially on pizza But I'm always careful when I have fresh pineapple Is It's going to be the one that stings my mouth And let me tell you, in Australia There are a lot of stingy things But <laughs> so if pineapple is the one thing I'm scared of the most Then I'm pretty tough, let me tell you My kids went snorkeling with the sharks Just a couple of weekends ago So pineapple will do it to me
0: And pineapple on pizza Well, that just solves a lot of things for a lot of people Like, does pineapple belong on pizza? Does it not? Does it, you know, and now I apparently it does in Australia
1: diversity is a marvelous thing
0: (laughs) Diversity is a marvelous thing. Love that. Love that a lot. Well guys and gals kids and campers alike That is it. That is all that is our show today And so, you know as we kind of get out of here I want to kind of just ask you this question, you know, because I love to leave you with a question And so here it is. How are you raising your kids? I know that's such a weird question to ask like as a parent How are you doing? Where's your accountability? Who are the other parents in your life that you're going to, to get advice from? You know, back in the day, we had Oprah. I remember that as a kid, like everyone went to Oprah, older generations might remember Dr. Spock, not the one from Star Trek, the guy that wrote a lot of books. Now, where do you go? Social media? Google? Good friend of mine always says Dr. Google. I always find that funny. But seriously, where do you go to get solid wisdom on how to enter in to be the best parent you can be? Something to ponder right now. And if you're not a good parent, do you feel like it's too late? That ship has sailed. Johnny's on his way. It doesn't matter. I failed. I left him astray. It's too late. They're out of the house. I can't have an effect any longer. Hmm. I want to tell you right now, I I think maybe this sounds crazy to some, but I think there's still a chance for you. Hey, listen, if you still have a breath, there's still a chance. So I want you to think about that this week is how am I parenting and how can I do it better? Because I would venture to guess that my good friend, Suze, that you just met, betcha she'd be willing to help you if you're really, truly struggling. Plus, she has a cool accent, so, you know, like a double whammy, like you get good advice and a cool accent all at the same time. It's like two scoops of ice cream. Great start. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that as we get out of here is how am I doing as a parent and can I be doing it better? And if you're maybe a child, maybe think about this. Get this book for your parents and maybe see if you can have a conversation with them. So maybe they can be a better grandparent to your grandkids. Just a thought. And don't forget this as we get out. Do not ever forget. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. I'm Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.